Let me ask you, how would you describe yourself? How would you describe yourself? Why don't you you try it for one minute? Turn to a person near to you. Just describe yourself to them. Go on. Give it a go. You know, apparently in interviews, it's one of the worst questions. In an interview where you get that question, tell me about yourself. It, fear, it fills the interviewee with, with this fear and trepidation because you think, well, what do I say? Well, I'm really handsome and good looking. You, know, like, you can't say that, can you? Because then you appear too proud. But you don't want to be too modest either because you need to sell yourself. So like, you're on this tightrope walk while you're there trying to answer that question. Do you ever stand in the mirror and look at yourself in the morning? Who does that? Come on, you're in church. Hands up. If every now and again you stand there and you go, huh, not bad, you know, like, I never do that, but you know. But when you look at yourself, when you think about yourself, what is it you think of? What is it that you see? You know, you go to a party, somebody says, oh, what do you do? Who are you? You know, I think if, if I tell them I'm a vicar, they'll either start confessing their sins to me. You know. I never say I'm a minister because they said, oh, which political party are you? So I, I figure that's not good. So I say, I'm, I'm a, you know, a priest or something like that. Oh, I better confess. And I think, I'm not here. I'm here for a party. I'm not here to hear your confession. But, you know, or they make an excuse and they vanish off. Oh, I need a drink. And then off they go. But it's how we look at ourselves is really important, isn't it? We use different tools out there to kind of define ourselves. There's the kind of Myers-Briggs. Have you done that one? You know, are you an INTJ or whatever else you might be to describe whether you're an introvert or extrovert, a thinking, feeling, a sense, and all these kind of things. But actually the Bible tells us quite clearly who we are. And in the book of Ephesians, which we're going to look at over the next few uh, weeks and months, we're going to go through and look in some kind of detail at the book of Ephesians. So if you want to turn there, we're actually going to start at chapter 1, verse 1 today. It's always a good place to start. It actually, what it does is, it gives us a really good perspective on who we are. Ephesians kind of gives us characteristics that this is who we are. This is what God thinks about us. This is how we are to think about ourselves. And as we go through this series, it will, each sermon will be starting, I am this. This is what God says that I am. And there will be different things that we'll pick up each week as we read it. But as we start, look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful In Christ Jesus. First and foremost, what we're going to look at today is that last bit. That we are in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ. You know, the Bible says that 216 times in the New Testament. Do you know how many times it talks about us being a Christian? How many times do you think the Bible talks about us being a Christian? No, it does. Three. He came to the early service, so he knows the answer. Cheat. Three times. Actually, it's good he's listening. So three times it says we're a Christian. 
216 times, it says, I think it is, it says that we are in Christ. So the Bible says, forget about all this calling yourself Christian business. Think about who you are, you are in Christ. And Paul starts it off in his letters. To the, to the saints in Ephesus, to the, so to the believers in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now what does that mean? Well, in the Bible it describes us as being in one of two camps. One camp is that we are in Christ. That's one side of the argument. What do you think the other camp is? Don't say not in Christ. It says we're in someone else. Who would that someone else be? Think way back to the beginning. Adam, that's right. We're in Adam. So it says in the Bible, we're either in Adam. In other words, we're in our our sinfulness. We're in our fallen state. We've messed up. You know, we gave the apple and we blew it. Or ate of it, really. But Or we're redeemed, we're changed, and we're in Christ. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46, it talks about that. It talks about our journey from being in Adam to being in Christ. We all started in the natural, it says, and then we take on the spiritual afterwards. And so it talks about that kind of spiritual journey from being in Adam to in Christ. And the Bible talks about those two camps. We're either in Adam, in other words, we don't know God, we're separated from God, we're far from God, or we're in Christ and that we're with God, we have a relationship with God. And you're in one of those two, you can't sit in the middle. Can't have a foot in both camps, it doesn't work that way. You're either in Europe or you're not in Europe, in the EU, you know? You can't have both ways. You voted for, you voted against. That's it. True or false, either or. But what does it really mean? What does it really, what is he trying to say here? Well, so what, that we're in Christ? What does it really mean? Well, Jesus speaks about that in one of my favorite passages you know where that is? Tim knows. John chapter 15. You know it well. It's about the vine and the branches. Do you know that bit? I am the vine and the Father is the gardener. Cuts off every branch. But look down at verse 5 in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, in Christ, I am in him and he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Here it is again, isn't it? We are in him, in Christ. And he is in us. Now, what does it speak about? Well, it speaks about us being branches. In other words, we're not the trunk, we're not the roots, we're not the source of the energy. We are just merely the the outgrowing of that energy. You know, we've got an apple tree in the back garden, and every year you're supposed to uh, trim it back, aren't you? We cut off the branches. But by cutting off the branches, you don't kill the source of the energy. You don't kill the heart of the tree. It's not like we take a big saw and cut it off at the base. And so next year, what happens? New branches grow. 
And they grow out because the source, the energy, the power is still there in the apple tree and the branches grow and now the fruit is starting to come on the tree. And so it says we are those branches. So we have to remember not to get proud or arrogant because we're the trunk, we're the source, we have all the power that we need. Or that we're just merely a leaf that's growing on the end of a branch and we actually have no, you know, no power at all and we could just drop off at any minute. A branch doesn't tend to drop off if it's connected and it's, it's got the, the energy flowing through it. And so we need to recognize our correct position before God, our right place in Him. But also that it's that connection that is important. When a branch breaks off or you cut a branch off, What's it good for? Well, a walking stick if you're out in the countryside and then you toss it away or you stick it on the fire because that's pretty much all it's good for. But if it's connected, it has so many other uses. The fruit can come out of it. It can grow leaves. It can you know, produce shelter and shade and everything else. And so it's about being connected to the source that's the important thing. And it's only as we're connected, as we allow the power of God, just like a tree allows the sap to come up through from the roots up through the trunk and out into the branches that it produces that fruit. We're able to produce the fruit of God, not because we have it within us, but because if we are in Christ, we are connected to the source that can produce the fruit through us. That's why Jesus used that picture of the vine and the branches. We can't do it. But if we stay connected to God through Jesus Christ, then he can do it through us. There's a wonderful quote that says this, if you don't understand that Christ is the essence of your life, that your hope, your future, your joy that your power are in Christ, you will either become arrogant trying to be a trunk or you will become really discouraged knowing that you can't change your life and you can't do what you're supposed to do and be all that you're supposed to be. It's as we recognize that we are a branch and a branch can't tell the trunk how it's going to grow. It can't tell the trunk what kind of fruit it's going to have on it. It just does What it says on the tin, it just follows out where it needs to grow and the fruit comes out because the trunk and the source and the sap and all the energy goes into producing that kind of fruit. And it's the same way as we are with God. When we are in Christ, when Christ becomes the center around which everything else revolves, then we become that branch on that tree or on that vine producing the fruit that God wants. But the key is that Christ has to become that center, that source. We can't do it ourselves. It's an either or again. You cannot have yourself as the center and think that Christ is going to work in and through you. It doesn't work that way. Christ says, I need to be the source. I need to be the center. You need to allow my sap to flow through you, bringing the fruit that I want. It's like if you think about a wheel on a car, you know. It spins around the axle, doesn't it? The axle is the central point. If, you, if your axle breaks, you know, as in Formula One, when you see sometimes their axle breaks, what happens? They just go veering off in a different direction into the crash barriers. 
was going to say something about Nico Rosberg there, but I think I better leave that for another day. You know, but that's, <laughs> you just kind of veer off. But the, the axle, the center thing around which the wheel spins, that is what, which gives it its direction, holds it together. And Christ, in the same way, needs to be at the very center of who we are. You know, John says it in 1 John 4, 19. He says, we love because God first loved us. He says, if you make Christ's love, God's love, the center of your life, then you can love others because that love is pouring into you. I can love my wife because God first loved me. And I am just a channel of that love flowing through me and out into my wife. I can love my children because God first loved me and I become a channel of love flowing into my children. I can love God's church because God first loved me and I become a channel of his love flowing into his church. I can love the people around me that God brings into my sphere of influence because God first loved me and I become a channel of that love flowing out into those people's lives. You see how it works when Christ is at the very core, the center of our lives. Then we can be that source. We are connected to that and that flows out through us. So how do you, how do you get Jesus to be the center? How do you get to be in Christ? Well, simply you ask him. You say, You have to come to that point one day in your life where you say, Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. Amen. Job done. For me, it was when I was a teenager. You know, I was out partying away. I've told you before, I think some of you. And all of a sudden, I realized I've been in church my whole life, but I'd never really followed what God wanted. He was not the center. I was there in church. I knew all the songs. I was even in the worship group. But God wasn't at the center. Christ wasn't at the center. I was at the center of my life doing what I wanted to do. Everybody looked at me and said, you're very religious because you go to church on Sundays. I went to the youth group. I even led worship. But the difference that it made when I finally said that one evening, Jesus, take over. Become the center. I want to be in Christ. I don't just want to know about Christ. I'm not interested in just doing the religious thing. I want to be in Christ. And then my whole world changed because what happened was that like all the parts of my life that were on that wheel, they all stayed there, but God moved them around into the right places instead of in the wrong places. When he takes up residence in the middle, what happens is that all the connections, all the spokes in the outer rim, they all seem to work a lot better because it's the way he set us up to be. And instead of me trying to organize it all and figure it all out and fix it all, and when it got broken, I was straightening out this spoke and that spoke, God suddenly just did it all for me and everything seemed to start making sense. You have challenges on the road, of course you do. But you go through those challenges knowing that actually... You've got that source and that power that help you through it. That it's all interconnected. But it's not just doing it once. Jesus said, didn't it, to his disciples, Luke 9, 23. You've got to take up your cross every day. 
Every day you have to make a decision. Because what happens is that when I wake up in the morning, some of me still says, David, I think you can handle today. I mean, you're gifted, you're clever, you're a really clever guy, you know that? I mean, you know, you've got serious education. You're not only handsome, but you're intelligent. You can handle this, right? And And there's me going, you know what? I think I can. And I'm battling them with the Spirit of God saying, David, but you actually made a commitment to put me at the center of your life. Which is it going to be? And we end up in that battle between ourselves wanting the control, me wanting to do my things in my way, and us saying, no, Jesus, I made a commitment to you. You be the center. You stay the center of my life. I don't want that job back again. Thank you very much. And we have that wrestling every day. And that's why Jesus said, take up your cross. In other words, surrender yourself. I surrender all. Surrender yourself every day to Jesus. At the start of each day, just say, I surrender all. Sing it if you like. I surrender all. All to thee, thy blessed Savior. I surrender all. Let Jesus be the center. Perhaps we can sing that later, Jesus be the center. Can we do that? But then what difference does it make? What difference does it make to our life when Jesus becomes the center, when we become in Christ? Well, in the book of Ephesians, we're not going to go through them all, but Paul lists 30 different things. And he says, I'd ask you to read it later. Take it home. It's only six chapters long. Read it. And every time it says in him, in Christ, just underline it or pick it out. Write it down of what it says. Let's just look at a few of them as we go through the first few verses. It says, look, to the saints in Ephesus, verse 1, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So one of the things that happens to you is your faith starts to grow. One of those characteristics, we start becoming faithful, more and more faithful. In other words, we trust Christ a lot more. Our trust starts to build. You ever felt far away from God? I think all of us would say, yeah, we have. You know, but... What happens in those moments? Well, if you become in Christ Jesus, if you say, Lord, even though I can't, I can't feel you and you, look, you feel like you're miles away from me, I'm going to still place you at the center of my life. We start worshiping. We start, and that, what happens is that that source, that energy, that sap from God starts flowing back through us again, through his Holy Spirit. And what happens is that sooner rather than later, Our faithfulness and our feelings start to change because that energy is pumping back through us again. Our trust in him grows and grows when we are in Christ Jesus. Second thing, verse 3, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So in Christ, we are not only is our faith increased, but we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, it says. It's like God, I've said before to you, God has this massive storehouse and he wants to throw it open to everyone. He wants to pour out all these blessings that he's got for your life. Some of them may be physical blessings, some material blessings, relational blessings, emotional blessings, but all the spiritual blessings he wants to give you. He says, I'm just dying to give you these things. 
Just open your life. Put me at the center. When you're in Christ, I can then flood through you. I can pour out. I have that connection that the blessings can start to flow in you and through you out into other people's lives. You'll find that when you are connected, when you are in Christ, these blessings just start flowing over and over and over again. And you will see it, but also people around you will see it because they will be some of the recipients of the blessings that are coming through you from our Heavenly Father. Isn't that cool? I think that's just amazing that God would choose you and me to pour out His blessing like that. Let's carry on reading verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. You know what this means? This means that, you know what? God sat there at some point before time even began, I guess. And he looked into the future and he thought about, you know, 2016, July, Wimbledon final, rain. And he said, these are the people, you guys sit in here, these are the people that I want, that I'm going to choose To pour out my blessing through them. To pour out my spirit through them so that they may be the instruments whereby other people can be connected. Other people can be blessed around them. It's not like that God loves you more than anybody else. Because he loves us all. But what he has done is he has chosen you from before the time it says he sat there. He chose you. Where you work, your homes, you know, the places that you go. He said, you are the person that I am going to choose to be the one that I'm going to pour my blessing through. You're going to be the one that I'm going to choose, and it says, to make you blameless and holy. Now, I don't know if you feel holy or blameless, do you? You know, like on my good days, you could ask my wife if I'm blameless, and she would tell you the truth. No. No. He's not blameless. Is he holy? No. So why does it say that we're holy and blameless? Well, really what it's saying is that we are to be like Christ. That God chose you to be like Jesus Christ. And in his sight, in his eyes, you are holy and blameless. Why? Because he died on the cross. He's already dealt with it all. Right? There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are, in God's eyes, holy and blameless. He's chosen you to show that relationship to everybody else around you. And he's handpicked you and me. Isn't that frightening? You know, you think, well, why, why didn't he pick someone else? Why me? You know? But he has, because you've got the unique gifts and abilities that he wanted in the places where you are to be that person that he's going to flow through, to be that branch that others will see and say, I want to be connected to that vine. How do I get connected? And he says, and you can say, let me show you. Let me show you how you get connected to. And then they can be joined into the vine. And they can be blameless and holy. And they can be picked by God and do the things that God wanted them to do. It's just like the people of Israel. There's this wonderful passage in Deuteronomy. 
The people of Israel are saying, why did God choose us? And Moses said, God didn't choose you because you were more numerous than any other nation. He didn't choose you because you were the best nation at anything. You're not the most intelligent nation in the world. You're not the best fighting force in the world. You're not the biggest. You're not the strongest. You don't have any characteristics as to why God would choose you. He chose you just because he chose you. It's like God looked at the people of Israel and he said, I want them to be the people that everyone else will look at and they will be connected. Like they will be connected to God so everybody can look at the people of Israel and say, we want to be connected to God too. Why is God blessing them and not blessing us that way? Why are they being such a blessing to everybody else? And then the people of Israel, their time has come and our time is now. The people of Christ, those who are in Christ, to do that same work that Christ wants us to do. To be chosen, to be on God's team, to be blessed, to be holy, to be blameless. We need to represent those standards. We need to be that kind of person that God has picked us in that particular role to do and to be. Let's carry on reading. Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in order with his pleasure and his will, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him, there we go again, next one, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So what are the characteristics? Well, we're forgiven people. We can come into God's presence with confidence. We don't have to fear coming into God's presence because we have already been forgiven. All my past failures have been forgiven. All my present failures are forgiven and all my future failures, that I'm sure they're going to be loads, they've been forgiven as well. So I can walk with confidence into God's presence because I know that I am forgiven. I can't walk in there in my own strength thinking I've got anything I can offer God because I have nothing. But I can walk in because of the connection I have to Jesus and because I know that he has forgiven me on the cross. You see, it's his power to forgive. I can't earn that forgiveness. I can't do anything about that forgiveness except accept his forgiveness and say, Lord, I have nothing to bring to you. I can't bargain with you because I have nothing that you want. But I thank you for your forgiveness for me. I accept your forgiveness in my life. And I want to be in Christ Jesus. I want you the center because of what you've done for me. We're forgiven people. Sometimes we need to let our faces know that. Because sometimes we go around looking like we're the most heavy laden people there are instead of saying you know what today's a great day because however bad it gets however messed up I make today I'm forgiven thank you Jesus thank you God let's carry on verse 8 and he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ 
to be put into effect when times will have reached their fullness with their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Next one, number five, is that we will know the will of God, not just the big will of God. Yeah, we know that. That God one day will put everything back in his plan. But we also, because we're connected to the source, will know the role that God wants me to play in his big purpose. We will get to know where we fit in. All we need to do is to ask him. Because we are there as Christ's people. We are there with him taking control, with him organizing everything. And therefore, we know that the part that we need to play is what he's going to push into us, what he's going to do in and through us. We have that individual thing that he wants us to accomplish. Those jobs, that, that piece of the puzzle where we fit in. And we can ask the source when we're in Christ. Lord, what is it you want me to do? Where do you want me to fit in? How can I be that channel of your blessing? Just show me where you want me to be. And then there is a unity of purpose that we see in verse 10 because we're then all working together for the common aim. You know, today when we're looking at all the politicians and that, it's very interesting to hear what they're saying, isn't it? Because so many of them today, sadly, seem to be all about themselves and their own agendas. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. They're rubbish. Vote for me. Right? And it's just negative stuff all the time, isn't it? It's not about what's best for this country necessarily or best even for their party. It's about what's best for them. It's one of the issues that they're having in the Labour Party right now, isn't it? Some people are saying Corbyn is best for the party and other people are saying, no, he's not. He'll never win an election. You know, but I don't hear, you know, you don't hear within that what, what's actually best for the country. What's best even for the Labour Party necessarily. It's just their own agendas that they're pushing, pushing, pushing. And sadly, sometimes that's the same in churches. And it should never be because here in in verse 10 it says that our goal, our aim has got to be Christ's goal. He is the source. A branch doesn't tell the tree what it's going to do, does it? The branch doesn't say on our apple tree out the back, well, I don't fancy apples this year. I think I'll have oranges. Thank you very much. You know, trunk, bring up some orange sap because I'm fed up with apples. I want to be an orange. It doesn't do that. The branch just hangs there and whatever happens to come up the trunk and go out the branches, that's what it has to put up with. And if it's apple fruit, it's apples. It doesn't have a choice. And it should be the same with us. When we're in Christ, we're all pushing together. We have our different positions, our different locations. We have the different parts that we need to play. But they're all pushing together for God's glory. One of the great things that I'm starting to see is that churches are starting to talk about kingdom instead about their individual churches. And it's really encouraging to see it. That actually, do we really care if Trinity is full of people or not full of people? I care more if the kingdom is full of people. You know, I want us to be a blessing as a church here so that we might bless others. And if that means that other churches down the road get full, that's fantastic, isn't it? If it means that non-believers become believers and then they go to different churches, that's great. 
It's not about building an empire here. It's about building the kingdom of God. And I see different leaders of different churches finally starting to to understand that and start to talk about that and start to live that in their lives. And it's tremendously encouraging. But we need to make sure that we do that here too. That we don't talk about, well, this is my ministry or my bit or my this and my that. But that actually we're working together for the collective of bringing God's kingdom, of being a channel of God's blessing. He is the source. We are the branches. And we need to keep that. And here it says, when you are in Christ, when you have Christ at the center of you, you recognize that he is the source that you actually naturally fit in with everybody else that is in Christ. Because you're pulling together in the same direction. You're working together for that common goal. Just a couple more. Really quickly, it says in verse, where do we get up to? Verse 11, in him we were also chosen. We said that having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What's that all about? Basically, he's saying we have an inheritance. You know, when you're part of a family, you have an inheritance, don't you? My two sons, you know, when I die and my wife dies, they will have an inheritance, Probably enough for one Starbucks each, but that'll be about it, you know. But it will go to them. That's what they, why? Because they're part of the family. And they have an inheritance because of that. Well, our inheritance is because we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We have heaven as our inheritance. Eternity with God as our inheritance. That's why we should be so joyful. You know, because doesn't matter, however bad it gets, we know where we're going. We know what our inheritance is. We know where we're going to go. <clears throat> we know what, what our end, the end product is. We have that inheritance. It's all been pre-sorted out. Predestined, it's called. And it's not to do with me again. I can't lose it because it's given to me by Jesus Christ. And when we're in Christ, we have that inheritance that is set for us because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And nothing can take that away. Next one is, look down in verse 12. In order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. We have hope because of all of this stuff. We have a hope because we know that we have a future. You know, however big the mess this country gets itself into, however big of a mess I get myself into, I have hope because God never fails. That God will sort everything out somehow. That in my life, God will sort everything out. Because he has my future. He has my being in the palm of his hand and he's promised never to let it go. And so we have that hope. We have that confidence that his spirit continues to work. And that ultimately, everything will be pulled along for his glory and will be put into where it needs to be for his glory. We have that hope in him. And lastly, look down in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth and now the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, which we just talked about, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to his to the praise of his glory. We have his spirit. 
When you are in Christ, you have his spirit living in and through you. Which means you have the power to accomplish everything he wants you to be and to do. God will never put you in a role or in a place where he doesn't give you the power to be victorious in that situation. You can never stand there and blame God and say, well, it was beyond me. Because God will say, I gave you the power. You might choose not to use it, but he will always give it to you. In however deep of a situation you're in, there is the power of the Spirit that has gone deeper and deeper still that will see you through. Let me close with this. Are you in Christ? Do you know what it means to be in Christ? I would encourage you to to go home and read the book of Ephesians. And as you read it, to, to just highlight what it means to be in Christ. Have you asked him in that time and said, Lord, I want you to center? Maybe you did that ages ago, but actually he's drifted off and you've put yourself back. I would encourage you today just to say, Lord, I want you back in the center where you belong. I don't want the weight. I don't want the responsibility. I want you to be there where you belong in my life. Because then the blessing and the love of God will begin to flow through you. There was a documentary recently on television. And it was about uh, young people on the streets, teenagers out on the streets living rough. And in the documentary, this guy went up to this 13-year-old girl and said, uh, what's your dream? And she said, I'd love to have a house. What kind of house would you like? And she started describing this beautiful mansion house. And he said, "Uh, would you like parents to come and visit or to come and be with you in the house? Would you like to be with your parents? And yeah, yeah. What kind of parents would you like? She said, I'd like parents who had duct tape across their mouths so that they couldn't say any negative words to me. And I'd like parents who have their hands cuffed or handcuffed behind their backs so that they couldn't strike me. Those are the kind of parents I would like to have. He asked another young guy on the streets, I said, what one thing would make a big difference in your life? And the guy turned to him and said, all of us here who live on the streets want one thing. That's love. You know, when you're in Christ, when you're connected with him at the core, what happens is that you have that channel of love flowing through you. We love because he first loved us. You have that ability. God will place you in situations where the love of Christ will just come through. The blessing of God will come through you into others. That's what he wants to do through you and through me. To be those channels of his love, of his grace, of his blessing into others. But to do that, we need to continue to be in Christ Jesus. Just as Paul recognized in the church in Ephesus all those years ago. They weren't perfect, but they were pulling in the right direction because they were in Christ Jesus. I pray that may be true for you and for me too. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this simple word, two words, in Christ, and yet so deep.
as we take the book of Ephesians and read it over and over and over again, as we study it together as, as a family here, reveal to us what it means to be in Christ. That's where it all starts. All the rest of it hangs on that very thing that you are the center. And Lord, now as we sing, Jesus be the center of my life. May we put you back where you belong. At the very core of our lives. The axle of which round the whole wheel spins and all the spokes span out. Help us to surrender all that we are to you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.